listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan. And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. This is Aaron Fishman, joined by my co-host Lauren Lee Chen. You'll be hearing from him a little bit later. First, on behalf of the guys, I want to sincerely thank everyone who took a moment to check out our 100th episode special last week. Really means a lot. If this is your first time tuning in, we're thrilled to have you aboard too. Getting back into the swing of things, We have the distinct honor of chatting with the creative mind behind the hilariously entertaining Spurs Special Forces web video series, the podcast Super Hoopers, and many other quality projects. He's Matt Hill, owner of a signed pair of Shaquille O'Neal's underwear, and a passion for joking around about basketball and pretty much everything else. But before we get into that underwear anecdote, get into may not be the best choice of words there, Let's talk Spurs Special Forces and lots of other things with Matt. Matt, it's good to finally have you on the show. How's it going? Oh man, it's going great. I'm just I'm just excited for the season to start, for the Lakers to uh, dominate uh, behind uh, Lonzo Ball's uh, leadership. <laughs> I like that confidence. We'll ask you more about the Lakers and your fandom a little later, but it just seems like a never-ending offseason, kind of, not necessarily a bad thing. It was good to get a little bit of a break, even though things were constantly going on. But we really like Super Hoopers. I'm also a big fan of Spurs Special Forces. And it's also really resonated with a big online community. A lot of people just think it's really funny and creatively done. Just for those who haven't seen it, summarize for us what basically what that series is and how it came about. Yeah, so the Spurs Special Forces, it's an animated series. Uh, the premise is the San Antonio Spurs. Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, and Pop are actually a secret team of international um, mercenaries, essentially. And they, have, they go on various missions, you know, uh, and there's five episodes. But that's the idea. It's kind of like a spy show starring the Spurs. Yeah, really well done. So it's almost up to half a million YouTube views. How surprised are you with the reception that it's gotten? And was that just organic or were there a series of steps that you followed for it to blow up the way that it did? Oh, no. I was at one of the, when the first one came out, it went pretty viral and I was absolutely shocked because I had done tons of videos, other comedy videos before that. And like nobody had seen them, you know, I mean, maybe a few people, but nothing like they never blew up, um, you know, never got anything like that. And so I was expecting, I was hoping for like 10,000 people to see it. That was like my wildest dreams. And yeah, so I didn't plan for that at all. The only thing I did is I knew, uh, I knew Jason Gallagher, just, I had been reading his blog. He had a blog. He, he's at the ringer now and he was at Grantland briefly, but, um, (laughs) He had like a blog called Baller Ball, and I was a real big fan of it. So I kind of had been corresponding with him just because I was a fan of Baller Ball. And I sent it to him when I put it out. And then he he featured it, 
And it kind of went from there. So I don't know if that was the push. I also put it on NBA Reddit. I just threw it on the NBA subreddit and it like quickly uh, climbed up there. So I don't, I didn't really have, I mean, I had a little bit of a plan. I was just, I was going to put it out and I was going to email Jason and put it on Reddit. I mean, that's the extent of my plan and then tweet about it, but it's not like I have some huge Twitter following. So yeah, it sounds like the content essentially carried it. You did a a couple of prudent things. I think you'd be remiss not to have done, but it's just so good and funny that I think it just it had its own legs and yeah no and I've done I've done like subsequent NBA videos that have been released by bigger outlets and distribution is important like if a big outlet puts it out it'll definitely get views but quality I think matters the most you know if Bleacher Report puts out like a really funny video it'll it'll do well but if they put out a bad bad video it'll get you know much uh, lower views or fewer mm-hmm. views so. Yeah. I like that Jason Gallagher shout out, by the way. He was a previous guest of ours. We had him on a really weird Harrison Barnes themed episode that we did. I think that's probably the only Harrison Barnes themed episode ever in the history of podcasts. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I don't know, maybe in North Carolina they've done some, but we had him on for half the show from the Mavericks perspective. We had Andy Liu talking about the Warriors. Yeah, we like Jason. One thing I did want to also bring up, so when I saw the credits of that first Spurs Special Forces video and I saw Randall Park, I thought maybe that's a relatively common name. I don't think it's the same fresh off the boat actor. And it obviously is. He does the voice of Manu Ginobili. That New York Times article that was written on Spurs Special Forces and you, I think it was December of 2015, In that, Randall Park had a really funny quote. He said, he's a really smart guy talking about you making some really dumb stuff. That sounds like an insult, but I mean it in the best way. (laughs) What's the story behind his involvement in Spurs Special Forces and just more broadly in how you and him got to know each other? Um, Man, me and Randall go way back. So we went to college together. I mean, he's a little older than me, but he was when I was an undergrad, he was in grad school. and We were in the same theater group. Um, and then we were in the same improv group and then we were in a comedy troupe together that did sketch. So we've worked on things together forever, like since, you know, since maybe 2000, I don't want to date myself, but since like 2005, probably. So we just always worked together. We always found each other funny and we've written stuff together. Um, you know, he's usually stars, not stars, but is in somehow involved in anything I make. So yeah, he's just an old friend. So I was doing the Spurs and I, I thought it'd be funny to have him, even though he knows nothing about basketball. He has no idea who Manu Ginobili is. And uh, I mean, basically his impression of Manu Ginobili is almost like a like half scar. It's like a it's like a high-pitched scar face. Um, so uh, yeah, no. So we just, yeah, we're just old friends who, and he happened to some somewhere along the line, get famous, become very successful, which is like very strange because... You know, I, I mean, I knew him when he was like living in his parents' garage and eating Costco pizza every day because that's all he could afford. So now it's like weird to go out with him and like, you know, be walking around and everybody's like recognizing him or the barista's like, are you, I love fresh off the boat, you know? And you're like, and I'm like, really? Really? You like this guy? But um, yeah, no, it's, he's, he's the nicest guy. Um, he deserves all the success. Yeah, we're really big fans of him on this podcast too. Uh, for the other People involved with Sparse Special Forces, like specifically doing the voices, can you just give us a rundown of those people and how you know them? 
So there's like a comedy community called Channel 101 in LA. And it's essentially a monthly film festival where you submit a short. And if the audience likes it, you get to do another one the next month. Um, so I've been involved with that prior to Spurs. I did a, a thing called Karate P.I. I did this thing called Marquise Versus and Marquise Saves, two different shows. So everyone else, all the other voices are people, actors I, who I knew from that community who I always wanted to work with. And uh, I just, you know, I asked them to do it and they all said yes, uh, thankfully. For fans of Randall Park, they should go look at his Channel 101 stuff because we, we used to do Channel 101, Channel 101 together as well. And he has some great old shorts, uh, old Channel 101 shorts from way back in the day. Yeah, I think after realizing that he was the voice of Manu, I did look up his old website and catch some of those Channel 101 videos. They are really, really amazing. Um, so I saw that you began this project as a way for yourself to learn animation. Is that true? And I guess in the article, you call your own animation style, quote, utilitarian, with having no background in drawing, or you just do some rudimentary Photoshop and then doing the animation in After Effects and other film editing software. What's that process like? Yeah, so I lived in Spain for a year, and I still wanted to make like funny videos and you know out here in LA it's really easy to make funny videos there's a whole community of people you know someone's got a camera someone else can run sound you know it's really easy to make stuff in LA but I lived in Barcelona I didn't know anybody so I thought the only way I can make stuff out here is animation if I you know have people record stuff and then I'll animate it so yeah I taught myself how to animate while I was in Spain just as a way to be creative and also because I had no friends so I just sat in my apartment learning how to animate um yeah, and that's the process. It's like I draw in Photoshop and then I do rudimentary animation in After Effects. You know, mouth movements, eye movements, that sort of stuff. What's like, I guess, the uh, the full process from like inception of idea to putting out the product? Like how many iterations does it take in terms of writing, in terms of getting your drawings, getting the voices and stuff like that? Yeah, so I mean, I talk to, I have a lot of, uh, a lot of my friends, uh, a lot of the Channel One One guys uh, worked on the show uh, Rick and Morty, and so I talked to them about the process of making Rick and Morty um, and other animated shows. And I think it's fairly similar, where you write the script, and then you record the voices, and then you start animating based on those recorded voices. Like you edit it together, and then you start animating. And oftentimes, you'll find that certain stuff doesn't work, or certain scenes could be better. So then you kind of do a rewrite based on what doesn't work. Go re-record. And then reanimate. So it's like everything kind of gets done twice. Um, and that's actually what's really nice about animation is that, you know, if, if you're not liking something, you can always change it. And you can also like add tons of jokes like in the background. If you're not lazy, if you can like, you know, draw and stuff. I actually just listened to Super Hoopers when you brought on Tom Kaufman, the Rick and Morty writer. Really funny episode. Yeah, shout out to Tom. It was great. <laughs> I think the last thing on... Spurs Special Forces, do you feel like you jinxed the Spurs in releasing that video? Because <laughs> I, I think it, the first episode released uh, in the beginning of 2015, the Spurs had gone to the previous two straight finals and they haven't been to one since. So what do you think about that? Uh, no, you know, you know, yes, I, I 100% agree that I jinxed them. Because there's a there's an entire unreleased Spurs episode that was commissioned by the New York Times, 
uh, right before in the 2016 playoffs where the New York Times came to me and they're like, they're like, we are a hundred percent sure that the Spurs are going to play the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. Now, this is not the last year. This is the year before. Right. And so they're like, we're 100% sure. And I was like, me too. I am also 100% sure that they're going <laughs> to play the Warriors, right? So they're like, how about you do a Spurs Warriors, uh, Spurs Special Forces? And I was like, absolutely. So I made an entire episode. It was ready to go. And of course, the Spurs lost to uh, the Thunder in uh, six games. And I was, I was, I had the game on, and I was actually finishing the episode while the game was on because I had to have it ready to go if they won. So yeah, so that was definitely, I definitely jinxed them. I like our leading question. <laughs> Lauren says, "Do you feel like you jinxed the Spurs?" And, and then cites all those stats. And also that first postseason um, in 2015 after the initial installment of the series, they lost to the Clippers in the first oh. round. And oh. that was an amazing series with Chris Paul hitting that, that game winner at the buzzer over, I think it was Tim Duncan's outstretched arms. And I'm biased as a Clippers fan. So I think that that says more about the Clippers wasted potential with that core than it does about the Spurs falling off. I think that was just two red hot teams running into each other and you just have to credit the Clippers, in my opinion, for getting over that crazy hump of a series. That was that was just a, an epic seven-game series. The Spurs, they've just been aging, but never falling off. Duncan is gone. They're still elite. They have some challenges with the LaMarcus Aldridge fit, but no pressure. I just I think people would really love to have another episode of this, but I know how much work goes into it, so... I guess that's not really a question, but no, no, no. I mean, it, it, it's just a lot of work, and I, you know, like I, I'm open to doing another episode, but I just want to do other stuff because it is, it is a lot of work. And but back to that series, that Clippers Spurs series, that people sleep on that series. That was such a good series and an amazing Game Seven. And it's not really brought up in the great playoff series or the great Game Sevens, but that was man, I love that series. I remember watching that Game Seven with uh, my wife and my wife's friends and they were like all super into it and they are never into basketball so my theory on why it kind of gets forgotten about too is because of the epic collapse 3-1 collapse that the Clippers had against the Rockets the next round everyone just loves to bring that up over and over again you were gonna say something especially me (laughs) (laughs) Lauren the Rockets fan so we spent a lot of time on Spurs Special Forces, well-deserved, but you have some other exciting projects going on. Super Hoopers debuted 11 days, I believe, after this podcast. <laughs> we had we were just two episodes in when you guys came out with your first episode, and our podcast probably couldn't be more different. You clearly have a lot of fun on your show, not that we don't. Just different type of fun, <laughs> but um, yours is definitely more of a talk show format as opposed to like a strict Q and A, and I think that allows for a lot of back and forth, joking around, improv. Um, I know you said earlier off air that you record almost every episode in person to just run through some of your favorite and most frequent segments or features that you have on the show, if you can. All right. So our featured feature segment is Get At Me Dog, where each week we will tweet at an NBA player. And then we so we pick an NBA player and then we tweet at them and then we score points if they respond to us, like either a fave or a retweet or an actual response. So that's the one we do every single episode. 
And uh, we do headlines, which is just like corny jokes. That's probably our, that, that, those are probably our, our standard, our, our favorite uh, features. Do you have certain strategies that you've employed that make it more likely to get a response from them? So we've tried a bunch of different stuff and nothing seems to be a sure thing. The only, the only, the only sure thing is that it's not a sure thing. Like <laughs> NBA players almost never respond. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is, you know, they're not running their own accounts. It's like a social media manager running it. So, you know, you, we try stuff like, uh, you know, retweet if this, fave if that, or, you know, we, John, oftentimes my co-host John will often be super sincere and be like, Oh, I'm really down in my life. Can you like give me some advice or something like that? Our other our other co-host who's on frequently, Dave, he will often do photoshops. But I mean nothing, there's no as as far as we found, there's no formula. So I don't really know the full context behind this. I remember hearing that Andrew Bogut elicited an, an interesting response. Or you elicited you, or was it you or one of your it was co-hosts? Me. It was me. Okay, what happened there, and and was there anything that was close to that crazy? So the yeah, that that was the biggest one. The biggest one we got was I tweeted at Andrew Bogut. I made fun of his neck beard. I, t- I like did three tweets in a row, like related to his neck beard, just harping on the fact he had a ne- neck beard. And then he responded to me, "Settle down, uh, Ellen DeGeneres," because apparently, <laughs> not my current profile pic but you know then i i kind of look like ellen degeneres i guess and then you know then ben simmons got involved and he was making fun of me and you know like andrew bogut for whatever reason he attracts like tons of trump supporters so it's like all these trump supporters were making fun of me like deplorable amy and deplorable steve (laughs) we're all we're all going after me so it was a yeah it was a wild day on uh on twitter for me a bunch of people just just you know just body slamming me (laughs) <laughs> you live in LA, you know Hollywood people, so you're an easy target. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The real I'm the liberal uh, the liberal elite over here. <laughs> Speaking of the liberal elite, so John Hill, your co-host. No, nah, I'm just kidding. You guys are both writer directors in LA though, right? Not related, not brothers. Yeah, we're, un- we're, we're my Matt Hill, he's John Hill. We're just totally, yeah, completely unrelated. You're brothers maybe, in basketball as yeah, you like that's to what say. We call ourselves, yeah. Um, yeah, and we're just like like every other person in LA, we're writer directors. <laughs> so, how do your personalities and skill sets differ, and how do you think that comes across on the podcast? Well, I mean, I think like I'm super charismatic and I'm very skilled at everything, and John's not, and <laughs> it's Simple just a lot that. of me letting John know <laughs> that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, no, I think I mean I think the real skill you see this in a lot of podcasts, like the podcasts that. Uh, you know, and I'm not ne- necessarily saying that we're there, but a lot of the really good podcasts are the hosts just have a good rapport, and oftentimes that comes with knowing each other for a long time. So John and I, you know, we actually haven't been friends for that long, but we're like we're good friends because we really bonded over basketball. Because in like the comedy writing community, if you know any comedy writers, like a lot of comedy writers don't care about sports, so it's kind of rare to find somebody who is passionate about sports and passionate about the NBA in that type of community. So we really bonded just hanging out, being the only guys who know the NBA and could talk about the NBA. So I think, I mean, I think that's what we have is just, maybe, like I said, maybe we're not there yet, but like a little bit of a rapport and also Mm -hmm. the ability to make fun of each other. And where do you think, if you could, um, what do you think you bring to the table differently though from each other? I think John has 
like I think he's very much the the voice of the kind of the casual fan, like the the someone who's who likes basketball but doesn't necessarily pay attention to all the analytics or doesn't necessarily buy into all the analytics and like kind of like the NBA Twitter type players where I'm someone who I have a bit of an economics background. So I'm very much into the analytics. And I, you know, if this, if this like Statsners tells me that uh, Jokic is, you know, the fifth best player in the NBA and I look at the numbers and that's what it says, then I'll be much more willing to claim that. I think some of that has come across. I I think it might've been Chris Middleton that you guys had very differing opinions on where you lauded the defensive contributions that that he makes according to a lot of the analytics, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And right. um, he just thought, eh, Middleton, garbage. Yeah, I mean, jo- like that. John, John probably doesn't know who Chris Middleton is, so he doesn't know who he is, and he's just saying he's, he's garbage. <laughs> but yeah, you guys definitely have a lot of fun, and it comes across. I don't know if I said this on air yet, but... I appreciate the honesty, the openness when you're doing a comedy podcast. I can only imagine that if you're not able to poke fun at yourself, then it's hard to take your other comedic takes as seriously. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what's nice is we're able to make fun of ourselves. And also, we don't we don't come from the position of experts. We will claim that we know everything about the NBA, but we clearly don't believe that. You know, it's just it's just more fun to argue with each other and... You know, if John if John says Chris Middleton is trash, like I'm not going to take it to take it to heart or anything. <laughs> Earlier, you mentioned that you also sometimes have a third host, David Futernick. Some people may know as an actor and comedian. I assume he's a pretty busy guy. Not that the the other two <laughs> of you aren't, but do you just have him on when he's more available, or how do you decide when he comes on? L- Lauren, do you know any actors? Actors are like the most <laughs> available people ever. Like. <laughs> They just sit around and do nothing all day. Like they go to like one audition and then, you know, that's it for the day. So, um, no, we have, we just have Dave on as, uh, as, as often as, as we can when we don't have other guests on. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a little busy, you know, if he's off shooting something, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. We, we like, we like Dave. We have, we have all Dave, you know, whatever we can. Uh, it's just like how we bring on Andy Liu every, every time we get just to <laughs> yeah. hear his random rantings about the Warriors. Um, on your show, on Super Hoopers, you refer to yourself often, I think, as, quote, kind of a Lakers fan, usually with a question mark at the end of that. I guess now delving into maybe at least one actual basketball question, how do you feel about that? I know you were expressing some feelings about Lonzo Ball. You were talking about the young nucleus before. So I guess, how do you feel about that team going forward right now? Well, I think the more you get you get into the NBA or the, the more you become a fan of the whole league, it's kind of like the fandom for your own team kind of wanes, at least with with a lot of people. I mean, I've heard uh, the writer Zach Lowe talk about this, how he used to be a Celtics fan. And then once he started covering the whole league, that fandom kind of went away. And I think the same thing, the same thing happened for me where I got really into, I re-got into basketball in about 2008, 2009 with the Lakers. And then, uh, you know, as I had loved the NBA more and like got into the personalities and all the other stuff going on, the behind the scenes stuff, you know, kind of my Laker fandom waned. Now it just so happened to coincide with them being bad. So I don't know, you know, I don't know if that's a coincidence or not, but right now, like I am all in on the Lakers because of Lonzo Ball. Like I just love everything I'm seeing with him in terms of his personality, his leadership, like all the stories you hear about him when he was a kid, him like taking teammates under his wing. 
you know, I love Ball and the Family, the the Facebook show. I love his raps. I mean, I, I it's I'm uncomfortable with how invested I am uh, in Lonzo Ball, and also watching him in summer league. I don't know if you watch the summer league games with Lonzo. It's like he's electrifying. Like it, it's edge of your seat, and those are summer league games. So I'm just I'm super excited to watch him play. I, I mean, if he honestly if he went somewhere else except for the Celtics, I would probably be a fan of that team just because I just love watching him. His court vision is something we haven't seen in a really long time. It's something exactly. that's yeah. just so fun to watch, and that's not even accounting for any of the off-the-court stuff. You seem like a pretty realistic guy. Are you all in on them making the playoffs soon, or are you in it for the long haul? No, I mean, I think I think it's very realistic to assume that Lonzo Ball this year will win the Rookie of the Year, MVP, and Finals MVP. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, very, I don't know. I'm in it for the long haul. I mean, I think as, as long as Lonzo re- remains watchable, I mean, I have no uh, illusions about how they're going to do this year. I, I assume they'll be, you know, the third worst team in the league or something like that. But I, I hope they'll be fun to watch and I hope they'll grow from there. I mean, I, I don't really I, I even I don't really care if they get Paul George or LeBron next summer. I'm just psyched to watch to watch Lonzo. Yeah, I was going to say that if they're able to land a, a big name free agent in 2018, I would think that would speed up the process. But if you're confident in the young guys that they're building around, then it doesn't necessarily matter. It'll just take longer to get to where they want to go. Yeah. I mean, there was a really good podcast this week, uh, the Zach Lowe podcast, where he had a guy on from the Wall Street Journal who wrote this book, kind of like tracking all the greatest teams in a bunch of different sports and trying to figure out what the commonality was. And his conclusion was all these different teams had like a captain who not necessarily was the best player, but a captain who kind of inspired all the other players. And, you know, maybe I'm being over optimistic, but I think Lonzo is that guy. And I think Lonzo, you know, can elevate the play of all his teammates. So I'm, you know, I'm in this for the next 15 years. And I think, you know, whoever the Lakers get, Lonzo will, will be able to make it work. Just out of curiosity, how do you feel about the Clippers? Are they kind of irrelevant? Do you like to see them do well? or dislike them somewhere in between? Yeah, I grew up, I mean, I'm from LA. So I grew up rooting for the Lakers. Like all my memories are, you know, watching the Lakers, you know, with my grandpa, stuff like that. And we never watched the Clippers. So I have no affection or nostalgia for the Clippers. I mean, I don't know. Like, I guess if if they have players I like, I'm, I'm into the Clippers. If they have players I don't like, then I kind of don't pay attention to them or don't really care yeah. about them. I can definitely understand that. From my perspective as a lifelong Clippers fan, the Clippers being so bad throughout the 90s and after that as well, I would guess that most Lakers fans just saw the Clippers as irrelevant. There was no point in even talking about them. Maybe they'd like every other NBA fan, make a, an occasional joke at the Clippers' expense. But other than that, I don't think they'd spend too much time worrying about them. It was more about the Lakers' prospects and getting into the playoffs and making a title run. Whereas the Clippers' fans, I think a lot of them really disliked, even hated the Lakers. Just a lot of it was jealousy, I think, and wanting to get to where they were. And now that the Clippers have been better in recent years, I've seen a turn to where a lot of Lakers fans are disdainful to a certain extent of the Clippers and their fans. Granted, there is an argument to be made that there are a lot of bandwagon fans, as with any other team or market, that have hopped aboard the Clippers train. Maybe now they're they're off again with Chris Paul's departure. But I think it's an interesting dynamic. But all that said, all, as far as the Clippers have come on the basketball court as a franchise, 
there are still so many more Laker fans in LA and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah. It's just like baked in, you know, it's like when you go to those East coast cities where it's like generations of fandom and in LA, we have that with the Dodgers and the Lakers. So, you know, like I said, like I'm a Lakers fan because my grandpa was a Lakers fan who's from here, you know, and you have those, those generations of fandom. And then, you know, you also have a lot of immigrants to LA where they also embraced upon coming here, the Lakers and the Dodgers, and then, you know, the, their children will also be Lakers fans. So it's, it's just a tough, it's a tough hill to, to overcome as the Clippers because you're dealing with, you know, a generational thing. But I mean, if people want to be a Clippers fan, I, I have no problem with it. Like, I, I don't mind bandwagon fans at all. Like, I, I like to use a different term for it. I like to say, uh, I like to call it NBA Ronin. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like a, you're wandering, going towards a team that it may be better. I think life's too short. Like, watch what you want to watch. If you like the Clippers, are they, are they good? You like watching them? I don't mind. I mean, I got way into the Warriors, that, that first title run. I was like, this team is incredible to watch. I watched all the Warriors games. I didn't feel, I didn't feel guilty about it. Yeah, I think you can think of it as opportunism and it it makes sense to a certain extent, but I can also see the other side of the argument where someone who's stuck through all the decades of losing feels like they're a more legitimate fan than someone who has only been there for the good times. (laughs) Yeah, man, but like... Don't count other people's money. It's like uh, you're you're happy. The Clippers, you you went through all that pain, and they're winning. You're happy. Why do you care? This other other guy's happy. I don't know. I don't mind. I mean, my grandpa. I just spoke highly of my grandpa. My grandpa was like the biggest bandwagon fan out there. Like I went home when the Clippers were good. I went home, and the guy the guy had Clipper socks on, a Clipper sweater, and a Clipper hat on. I was like, "What happened, Grandpa?" He's like, "I was like, man, I'm 85. All right, I don't got too much time left. I, I'm I'm rooting for the team that's good." So just. Changing gears just for a second as we wind down, totally off topic, but do you have any projects that you're excited about coming up that you feel comfortable talking about? Uh, I got a uh, I got a video about Drake and the Toronto Raptors that will come out sometime in the next two months. I'm excited about that. And I have a undisclosed project with the aforementioned Randall Park <laughs> that may come out hopefully sometime in the next couple of years wait who knows probably not because in hollywood nothing happens but uh that's that's what i'm excited about we eagerly await both of those hopefully it's been a really great time talking to you matt listeners to our podcast know that every introduction we do we include a fun fact about our guests that we bring on as we mentioned in the introduction, your fun fact was that you have a signed copy of Shaq's underwear, and we usually don't do this, but I wanted to get the uh, origin story of that on Yeah, air. let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. <laughs> so I had, uh, in the mid-2000s, I had a torrid love affair with Shaquille O'Neal, <laughs> and no... <laughs> <laughs> not really uh yeah no so i was uh, i went to ucla i know you guys are usc guys so sorry about that um but uh i went to the better university in los angeles and uh i was a lifeguard there and so one night uh this is when when shack was on the lakers this is 2003 so i was a lifeguard and then one night shack had rented out the entire pool okay he had rented out the pool to learn how to scuba dive so if you can imagine a seven, however tall Shaq is, I don't know, seven, two or something Mm -hmm. giant man in a wetsuit with flippers on and like a a snorkeling mask. And he just comes out of the locker room looking like that, being all jolly, waving to everybody, of course. And so, you know, he gets in the pool and he's scuba diving and 
the best part about it was every five minutes he would surface and he would just yell out, I'm scuba diving. <laughs> then he'd go back down and another five minutes he'd come up. All right. So then he's done and then all the other lifeguards are hanging out and he's like signing stuff for people. Like someone found a Sharpie, signing towels or whatever, you know. Uh, then he goes in the locker room and I was the guy who closed up. So I go in after everyone had left, after Shaq had left. And he's left in the locker room all the scuba gear. He's just left it there. And it's like completely unusable because it's made for a seven foot three man. And then what he's also done, he's taken his underwear and he's laid his underwear out on the ground and he signed it, Shaq. So uh, I uh, I took I took the scuba gear, put it in the lost and found, and I uh, took that underwear home with me. So, you know, I still have it right. My dad my dad has it in his attic. So I have to get it out and uh, take a picture of it just because everyone no one believes the story. So I, next time I'm at my dad's house, I'll uh, I'll have to rummage around and pull it out. Is that Shaquille O'Neal underwear look like long pants on? Dude, it's like or? look. I I I don't want to get too into my personal life, but I may have I may have tried them on. <laughs> Uh, we don't even yeah, know. It's fine. They, they go down. Uh, they went down like way past my knees. So yeah, they are they are giant. It's an amazing story. Thank you again, Matt. Listeners, check out Spurs Special Forces if you haven't already. Check out Super Hoopers, Detective Kristaps, uh, Sam Hinkie. Oh, yeah, we video forgot game. about uh, yeah, yeah, Sam Hinkie. Well, the Sam Hinkie video game doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> uh, like the ringer i did it for the ringer and when the ringer moved from medium to vox they somehow like it, it's it's gone so there's a play if you google sam hinky video game there's a playthrough or on my youtube tube of matt hill there's a playthrough that shows you what it was but it was an actual playable video game about sam hinky that apparently the ringer doesn't care about come on bill what are you doing well like lauren said we really appreciate this glad to finally have you on the episode keep on doing what you're doing it, it's fun for us to watch and and get inspired through you and yeah we'd love to talk to you again sometime soon yeah thanks for having me on yeah big fan our pleasure thank you